This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. A good nerve Shabbos. This is Mashi Lipsker here with you on 101.9 High FM. And we have a wonderful Shabbos ahead of us. Shabbos Parsha Shmini. But a few days ago it was Pesach. Last Shabbos it was Pesach. Pesach that we looked forward to, that we planned for, that we were totally immersed in. Pesach that comes along with so much planning, worrying, preparing. And now, as the Lubavitcher Rebbe would remind us, we must never say, Baruch Hashem, Thank God that Yontif is over. We must rather say, Baruch Hashem, mit yontif. Thank God, a Yontif has been added to us. We can't put ourselves so totally into something and come up the same. We are different now. Each and every one of us who goes through any particular experience, any one of us that lives one more day in this world, cannot be the same. How much more so when we have prepared, anticipated, and given our all? And now, what lies ahead? So we have a wonderful Parsha. And the Parsha is Shmini. Vayihi bayoyim hashmini, and it was on the eighth day. The eighth day, after seven days of our leader Moshe, Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu, putting the Mishka and the tabernacle, to, tabernacle together and then disassembling it every day. Every day Moshe served as the high priest. But this was only the initiation, and the eighth day was the inauguration. The first day of the month of Nisan, Aharon and his children served in the Holy Temple, and miracles occurred there, and things came together in a most incredible way. Jewish people worked for so many weeks to build, to donate, to build, to create this home for Hashem. They did what they could, but it was only on the eighth day, after all the days of preparation and all the weeks of preparation and Moshe's input, that God's presence came to rest in the work of their hands. Shmini. Number eight. Eight is something beyond the ordinary. Seven is the ordinary. Eight is beyond the ordinary. There's a wonderful teaching that on the rare occasions that this Parsha is read eight times, it will be a year of blessing and good fortune. This year, the way the calendar was structured, Shmini was read seven times, and this Shabbos will be the eighth time. And by that we mean it was read Shabbos at Mincha, 
and then on a Monday and a Thursday, and again, that cycle, it was red, not in its entirety, but it was red. And those who read the daily Chumash and the Rashi commentary on an everyday basis would have reviewed it three times for three weeks. And the week before the three weeks began, this Parsha has been the Parsha. When Shmini is read eight times, Shmini, Shmoina, Shmena. It's a good omen. It indicates that when Shmini is read Shmoina eight times, it will be Shmena. It will be a year of abundance. And this is one of those special years. Seven is the ordinary. Eight, the extraordinary. Seven is the natural order, the days of the week, the human emotions. Eight is the miraculous. Seven is the limited creation. God created the world in seven days. Eight is touching the divine, the infinite. Seven is good, but eight is perfection. So coming out of Pesach now, a festival that doesn't just celebrate something that happened so many years ago, an epic, historic event that is spoken about till this very day. But Pesach is a gift, a gift to each one of us. And what sort of gift is it? Pesach. Pesach means Passover. That's it, Pesach, the ability to transcend our limitations. We are born into the natural world, the world of seven. But the eight days of Pesach have the ability to actually inculcate every aspect of our lives with the extraordinary. Coming out of Pesach, we can now... Live the extraordinary. Pesach in a literal sense is not a simple exercise. We stretch ourselves. We change. We change the dishes. We change the food. We change the way we celebrate. It's a seder. Something different. Pesach comes not only to teach us, but to help us skip over the weaknesses, skip over the limitations. It's here to put energy into each one of us for every aspect of our lives that's ordinary and to inspire us and empower us to live the extraordinary. You see, the Jews left Egypt. Egypt is called Mitzrayim. Mitzrayim from the word Meitzorim, limitations. We all have our Egypts. We all have our weaknesses, our regrets, our limitations. But this month today is still Nisan. Tomorrow will be Nisan. Even Sunday will be Nisan. Nisan, the word itself, means miracles. Miracles. 
not one miracle, multiple miracles, wonder of wonders, nisei nisim, the two nuns, the two N sounds, both indicate, each indicates miracle, and this indicates double miracle. How do we access and absorb and make a miracle happen in our lives? Well, to get a miracle, we have to mirror a miracle. We have to make a miracle in our lives. We must make some sort of change, and now's the time to do it. While still in the month of miracles, there's an energy for liberation, an energy to become free of anxiety, free of fear, free of insecurity, free of bad habits. We can make a change, but the change should be in the ordinary, in the routine, in our behavior. Change something. You may not be there yet. We may not feel it. But just change. Speak differently. Do something that is different. This is a time of an extraordinary empowerment to each one of us. We need to seize the moment when it's a season of miracle, an energy of miracles, a history of miracles, and to treat ourselves, to gift ourselves with the gift of Passover, the gift of don't think so much, just do it. Jump over, leap over the things that enmesh us, the things that trap us. And we're going to transition on this weekend because this Shabbos, we're going to bless the new month of Iyar. And we're going to transition out of this extraordinary month when there is no Tachnun. The whole month is a Yontif. And we're going to go into the second month of the year called Iyar, where every day is kind of the same. And there is no major festival. Yes, we will have Pesach Sheni, and we will have Lagba Omer. But every day, we're going to do the sameish kind of thing. But within that, there lies empowerment. Within that, there lies a continuation of what was started in this first month of Nisan, the month of miracles, the month of liberation, the month of freedom. And what we're going to do is that we're going to count every single day because it is the counting of the Omer. Yes, we started it two weeks ago, but half of the month of Nisan, we did not count the Omer. It's only the month of Iyar that every single day we count the day. The whole month we're going to be counting the Omer. Now, counting the Omer is synonymous with refining ourselves, looking at ourselves, because each one of us has seven attributes. The way we're made up is with kindness and strictness, with compassion 
and fortitude, with humility, with bonding. And ultimately, all of us are royal. We are sovereign. And this procedure that we do week after week for seven weeks is fo- focused mainly in the month of year, the month we're about to bless and launch this Shabbos. When we count every single day, the message is also make the day count. Uplift the extraordinary. Don't look at every day as if it was like the day before. Don't look at things as if they are just part of routine and habit. Make the day count. After this short break, we'll be back to talk some more about this very, very pertinent subject. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. So this Shabbos, we're going to bless the new month of ER, and we're then going to have Sunday and Monday, two days of Rosh Chodesh. And the message of ER is time. Time is precious. Count every day. Every single day can be the beginning, something extraordinary, a time to refine, to polish, to change. What's the theme? The theme there is number seven, because we're counting the weeks, we're counting 49 days. From the time we left Egypt till the time we got the gift of Torah at Sinai. So that's actually seven times seven. That's the theme. We examine each day. We look at the attribute of the day. We examine that attribute within ourselves. The Rebbe taught us the importance of going far beyond the extraordinary. He taught us and showed us throughout his years of leadership by word, by example, that we all have incredible, incredible energy. Energy that waits to be released through effort. Extraordinary effort helps us to tap into extraordinary things that we have within ourselves. But what's the key? Thinking about it? Reflecting on it? Planning to do it? No. To do it. Just do it because we find ourselves in a world called the world of action. There are four worlds, all created by the Creator. But it is precisely in this world, the Olam HaAsiyah, the world of action, that everything takes place. And the higher worlds are affected specifically by our actions down here. Mitzvahs, God's commands to us, well, mitzvahs are actually the divine. It's God's will, and he clothes it in the natural. Through doing, through doing a mitzvah, we can live ordinary lives that become extraordinary We're living ordinary lives, natural lives, but we do a mitzvah. We can infuse our everyday with the divine. 
we can live with joy. We can bring blessing and joy, God's blessing and joy, infinite, lasting blessing and joy into our daily routines, into our daily lives here and now. Through doing a mitzvah, it's not just something nice that we did, but there is blessing and reward because we connect with the commander. Every time we do a mitzvah, we are pleasing God. And when God is pleased, he blesses us with the things that we need. And we can bring passion and purpose and lasting happiness into every ordinary experience, into each interaction. It becomes alive. It becomes infused with purpose. We're doing our mission in this world. When we do a mitzvah, we are nurtured with a divine energy. The tangible mitzvahs carry us to a connection with the infinite, with God himself. God is the mitzvah, the commander of the mitzvah. And every mitzvah, an ordinary mitzvah, a coin that I give, a candle that I light, not only is an action that I did in a vacuum, but it has an invisible part. It carries with it God himself, the mitzvah, the commander. When we study the Torah, it doesn't just stimulate the mind. It connects us with the noten ha-Torah, the giver in the present of the Torah. Not the natan, the noten, the giver. As we're told that when we study the Torah, you are taking me. You are actually taking Hashem himself and internalizing him. He becomes part. He becomes, he's in your mind, not just as a thought, but there he is and there he remains. When we give tzedakah, we give a coin. We help someone else. It's not just that it makes us feel good, but we connect because the word mitzvah is from the word tzav sovachib, or connection. Who do we connect with? With the mitzvah, the commander, the creator of the mitzvah, the creator of everything, the creator of me and everything around me, the creator of my abilities the creator of my body, my body with its miraculous intricacy, every aspect of my physical makeup, my, my veins, my sinews, my heart, my mind, which is extraordinary. Well, he's the creator and he's doing it right now. Our minds have such incredible ability. Think about it. They can connect. They can remember. A mind can learn. A mind can create, invent. A mind can understand. He is the creator in the present of our minds and our hearts, our emotions, our extraordinary ability to feel, to feel for another person. My heart is a piece of meat. 
And yet, my heart can yearn. My heart can long to improve. My heart can cry out for the divine. How? God the Creator, the infinite Creator, has created me. He's created my infinite soul. And each one of us, with our own mission, with our own infinite purpose, and just from looking at ourselves and understanding our minds, our hearts, from my own experience, from my own flesh, I perceive godliness. Every mitzvah is an opportunity, a rare privilege. We need to grab the mitzvahs. Every one that presents itself to us, every moment, every day, every hour, has opportunity. And every month is tremendously unique. God created time. Every unit of time, every hour has its own energy. And from the miraculous month of Nisan, we now leap willingly, unwillingly into the month of Iyar. And this Shabbos, we will bless the new month. It's called Shabbos Mevorchim, from the word bracha, the Shabbos when we bless. So let's look at this month of Iyar. What is so special in addition to the fact that we're counting, and we're counting the Omer, and every day must count. If we look at the word Iyar, the four letters, Aleph Yud Yud Resh, are an acronym, an acrostic, for the pasuk, for the phrase in Parashas Bishalach, Ani Hashem Roifecha, I am God, your healer. We all yearn to improve. We all want to be better. And as we try to refine ourselves in the month of Iyar, God is at our side. He's helping us to heal. For we have a teaching, Whoever comes to be purified, he is assisted. We do our human, limited best. We do our number seven. God strides toward us with that big number eight. And he brings into this month an energy of healing above nature. Illness seems to sometimes come with, I ate the wrong thing, I wasn't dressed warmly enough, I was careless. But healing comes from above. I ate the wrong thing, but God is helping it to digest. I was careless. I cut myself. Where is that cut now? God has miraculously joined my skin together. There's no sign of what was there a month ago. Ani Hashem Roifecha. I am God, your healer. So how do we incorporate this type of healing into our lives? There's a story that comes to mind, an extraordinary story, a story that was told 
by an emissary of the Rebbe from South America. The men, the shluchim, gathered together in the month of November, around the first day of Kislev, and they have workshops, and they have meetings, and they have a grand banquet. And when it's all over, the shluchim, some of them sit down to spend a little more time together. It's difficult to part. It's difficult to leave your friends and go far from one another, even though it's a privilege. It's not always so easy. It's very often lonely. And a group of shluchim were sitting together, fabrenging, which means spending time, sharing stories, being together in brotherly unity. And one of them stood up to tell a story. And the story began, he said, I want to tell you about a story that happened about 25, 28 years ago in the town where I now serve. And the story is about a family. They were not observant, a Jewish family, a father, a mother, and a son. He was their only child. They doted on him, indulged him, gave him the best of everything. You can imagine their horror when he was diagnosed with a terminal illness, at the young age of about nine. They did everything they could. Money was no object. Nothing stood in their way of trying to find a cure for their child, continued this young shliach, but to no avail. And eventually, after treatment, after a long time of visiting doctors and trying all sorts of cures, a very big doctor told them, stop all the treatment, enjoy the time you have left with your child. In great pain, they went home, they spoke about it, and they decided they would take their child on a trip, trip of a lifetime. They would go touring, they would go sightseeing, they would enjoy their child and give him an opportunity to enjoy. And that's how they found themselves in New York, he said. And in New York, they were sightseeing and doing whatever they could to give the child a good time, when in Manhattan, on the street, they saw a strange sight. It was a mobile home, a caravan, and it had Hebrew words on the outside, and it had bright pictures on it, and outside stood two bearded young men. And the young boy said to his parents, what is that? I want to see it. So, of course, the parents said, sure, sure. They took the child a bit closer, and they struck up a conversation with the young men. And, of course, the young men were Chabad emissaries, the Rebbe's emissaries. The question, are you Jewish, was asked. Have you put on tefillin today? And the parents were not particularly that way inclined, to say the least, but anything for the joy of their child. The child went inside. There was a little coffee shop. There was a series of little colored books, and there were lovely, lovely things inside. 
and he had a lovely time. And when he came out, they asked, what are you doing here? I hear your uh, Spanish accent. And they told the sad story. Of course, the young men said, you must, you must write your story to the Rebbe. You must go and see the Rebbe. And the parents became very, very annoyed. They said, if the finest doctors couldn't help our child, don't waste our time. But the young boy pressed his phone number, this young bocher, this young yeshiva student, into the hands of the mother and said, think about it. Anyhow, they parted ways and continued their sightseeing. Something did not let the mother rest. And she said to her husband, we've tried everything, let's try this also. To the great joy of that bocher, they phoned him. He made an appointment for them to see the Rebbe, and they came inside to see the Rebbe. Father was very uncomfortable. The mother wasn't that comfortable either. And they said to the Rebbe, we're here on the advice of that yeshiva student, but we don't know really how you can help us. And the Rebbe said, what's wrong? And the story came out, and the Rebbe said, where is this growth, this tumor? And the father pointed to the little boy and showed where it was. And the Rebbe looked, and he said, I don't see a growth. I don't see a problem. All I see is a wound that has been created from eating non-kosher food, which can be easily healed. Wow. <laughs> Parents never expected to hear anything like that. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. So this family from South America is visiting the Rebbe because their son is, has been pronounced terminally ill. And the Rebbe says, where is the growth? Where is the problem? And the father points to the child, to the place where this mass is apparently growing. And the Rebbe looked and he said, I don't see a growth. I don't see a problem. All I see is a wound that has been created, a sore created by eating the wrong food not kosher food. Well, the father grew very, very angry. What? This rabbi who steeped in his holy books, who probably never looks outside of the shul, what does he know? World doctors have told them they couldn't wait to leave quickly enough. When they came outside, of course, those young yeshiva students were waiting for them. What did the Rebbe say? What? And the father said, if you ever come near us again, get out of our way. And they left and they came back to the hotel room very upset. But the mother could find no rest. And they had the name of one professor in New York. And she said, let's make an appointment to go see that professor. They made an appointment, and they came to the professor, and they had the x-rays. And the professor asked, uh, 
let me see the x-rays. And he said, you know what, let me take x-rays of my own. One of these x-rays from, okay? And so the child went for all the scans and all the x-rays and then came back to the doctor. The doctor took the scans, took the x-rays, began to look at them. He said, this is not the same person. These are not the same. He said, all I see is a small wound that can easily be healed. He used the same words as the Rebbe. The parents couldn't believe it. Of course, the rest is history, said the young man. They thanked the doctor. They went back to that young yeshiva student. They immediately became kosher. They immediately became close to the guidance of their rabbi and their community. They went home. And the young emissary finished his story, he said, and that young boy recovered, and that young boy is standing in front of you at his eye. Just as the Rebbe said, it was a wound that was created by eating the wrong thing. I'm fully healed. I now serve in my community, and I am filled with joy and passion and purpose and gratitude. It's a story of doing something to make a miracle. We need to live as Jews, not to be faced when we are faced with something that tests us. When we are tested, we need to strengthen our bond and our connection with the director of this test, of these events. God is the director of all events. Let us dedicate our prayers and our mitzvahs and our extra prayers and our extra mitzvahs to all those who need healing. We know people who need physical healing. We need to take their name and the name of their mother and pray for them. If it's a Jewish person, their Hebrew name and the Hebrew name of their mother. For a person who's not Jewish, we pray using their full name and the full name of their father. There are people who are struggling with mental illness, emotional illness, physical illness. But most of all, people are struggling with spiritual illness. They're confused. They're lost. They don't know where to go. They don't know how to put the brakes on something which seems to be going downhill. But we can all be healers. We know we can smile, and the smile can be very healing. We all can heal with our love. But true love is sharing a mitzvah which will connect our fellow with his infinite Father in heaven, who is the master of all blessings. When we inspire someone, we speak to them to light a candle for Shabbos, to put on tefillin, to have a kosher mezuzah on their front door and on all the doors that need them, to check their mezuzahs at least twice in seven years to see that moisture or heat 
has not invalidated the mezuzah. When we encourage someone to give a coin to tzedakah, to charity, this is true love. This is love for our essence. And when our essence is whole, our bodies are whole, our minds are whole, our hearts are whole. When we educate our children to know God with a proper Torah education, it's a mitzvah. We say it in the Shema, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And when we do what Hashem wants, He blesses not only the child, but us as well. When we are able to convince someone to send their child to a school where the teachers are connected to God, where the teaching is meticulously focused on connecting the child to who he essentially is, and that is a soul, a soul with a mission. That is a mitzvah. When we study the Torah, when we set aside time to teach someone Torah, when we learn something and we share it, that is a mitzvah. And of course, as the story so poignantly illustrates, when we eat the right food, we nurture this God-given physical body with the right diet. We're putting the right petrol into this machine. We're caring for this mechanism, which houses our soul, our mind, our heart. They all begin to work harmoniously, correctly. Things flow the way they should. Our thoughts are positive thoughts because we've filled our minds with Torah thoughts and we've filled our days with mitzvahs, practical actions, which are actually the will of God. We'll be right back after this short break. This is Conversations with Mashi Lipsker. Our children are our most valuable, valuable asset. Our greatest wealth are our children. You know, we put our money in the bank. We lock our jewels under lock and key. But our children, their precious young minds need to be nurtured and protected. There's no lock and key, no filters to protect their young, vulnerable, beautiful souls from all sorts of input. We need to take a decision. This world needs healing. Our children are the leaders of tomorrow. I am God, your healer. That's the month of ER. He will heal us, but we need to make a vessel for this blessing. And he's given us so many skills. The mitzvahs are skills, skills to have a good life, a healthy life, a wholesome life. Yes, there are things that are beyond our understanding, beyond our control, but that does not absolve us 
from living in a way which helps us to carry out our God-given mission. Children today desperately need education. I'm thinking of a favorite story of mine. It was a young teacher, a new teacher, and he established quite a friendly relationship with his students. And his principal said, you need to be a little bit more distant. Don't be so familiar. Don't be so close with them. And the principal said to him, the children don't need a friend in you. They need a figure of authority. Well, it bothered the young man. And so when he was in New York, he went to visit the Rebbe. And he mentioned this critique that he had received. And the Rebbe became very, very serious. And he said, today's children don't need to be overly criticized or lectured about their shortcomings. Today's children are their own biggest critics. Instead, the children need to hear more about their strengths and their incredible potential. It's not about just making their lives comfortable. The story ends there. I'm adding this in. The Rebbe was saying that the true role of a teacher is to understand the child and to show him what he can become because our children are the leaders of tomorrow. They need inner strength. They need self-confidence. But they need boundaries. They need to be able to limit themselves, to focus themselves, and not only to study but to become compassionate human beings, to become givers. They need to see that in their parents. Parents are the primary educators. No matter what children learn at school, it's what they see at home that they most likely will become. The job of a parent is huge, to educate the child when they think the child's not looking. It's not the words we say. It's the example that we set. The example that we set in the long run, the long distance where children see parents handle crises and the ordinary, when children see parents handle things that are not pleasant, things that are not things they would choose. That's where the biggest learning happens. Our biggest teaching moments are not those when we think we are teaching, but those when we are unaware that the child is actually watching or absorbing. And from a very young age, children are learning. From the time that an infant is born and before We are influencing that child. We're making them secure. We're teaching them skills. Our work as a parent is the primary work that we do in this world. So a salute goes out to all the moms, all the stay-at-home moms, 
all the devoted mothers who parent, who nurture, who look out for their children to nurture their midas, their character traits, to protect their minds from, ne- from negative influences, who nurture their bodies with kosher food, who nurture their spirits by teaching them Torah and mitzvahs, not only verbally, but in action. Because it's the actions of the parents that will resonate loudest and longest for the children. And so, as we are still in the month of Pesach, the month of miracles, let us access the energy in the air. Let us make a miracle in our own lives by leaping over, passing over the obstacles, and entering the month of Iyar, the month of healing, where every day we will count, look at ourselves with a critical eye, and try and improve something else. And no doubt, our efforts will be blessed by Hashem with great blessing for success. A guten Shabbos, a guten Chodesh.